First, though, some place you probably haven't been during this pandemic is paying a visit to a duty-free store. Not a huge surprise. Revenues at duty-free stores right across the country at the borders are down. So joining me now is Gary Holowaychak, president of West Coast Duty Free. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, Jill. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I know revenue down, I think the number I had seen was, was 97%. Uh, I'd seen a, a global national story taking a look at some other duty-free shops right across the country as well. How are things going there? Things have been outrageously tough. We, uh, we are, without a doubt, the hardest hit of the hardest hit. We got locked up and we were not allowed to pivot. We were not allowed to find other avenues of uh, sales from, you know, so we were basically locked up. We stayed open to keep washrooms open for the truckers. Um, but it's been, it's come with a price. I mean, we are in excess of 97% down and uh, can't wait to open up. I would imagine. And when you say you weren't allowed to pivot, so you weren't allowed to take whatever it was in the store, the goods, uh, as far as if it was food or other goods, you weren't allowed to say, open up a, a window or find some other way of selling that? Yeah, we, I mean, we approached Ottawa with allow us to pay duty on our goods and allow us to open up a kiosk someplace, allow us to open up a store. If I could have opened up a store in White Rock, there's just a tons of goods that I could have... Uh, had a potential of selling, even if it was at cost, at least to get my money out of it. But uh, as it was, our license says we are for export only on an individual basis. So on an individual basis even stops me from packing up a skid and sending it to the States. I It has to be on a per-person by per-person basis. Hmm. Can you explain a little bit that it did get me thinking as well when I first saw this story, how exactly does it work in that? How do you find out or or how is it regulated that you are allowed to have the items you have and are able to sell them duty free to people leaving the country? Duty free store operates under a special license in that we buy goods without duties and taxes as long as they are for export out of the country. So I can buy a bottle of perfume from France, and if I owned a, uh, a store in downtown, the, when that bottle of perfume arrives in Canada, it attracts excise taxes, uh, all sorts of excise duties, and, and other, all the rest of the taxes that go on in Canada. Because it is, i.e., just in transit, When I bring it in, it comes to my store. When it leaves my store, it leaves the country. I'm exempt from all those taxes. So it allows me to buy cheaper and consequently sell cheaper. All right. And and the items themselves, because there does tend to be similar items, whether it's alcohol products, uh, food products, you mentioned perfume, sunglasses often. Are there specific items that you are only allowed to sell? there are, but the restrictions are fairly wide open. Uh, there are a few things we're not allowed to sell. I would love to sell gasoline. Uh, with all the taxes on gas, I could sell gas at about uh, 40 cents a liter. Hmm. And uh, that, would, uh, that would definitely put me on the map. Uh, <laughs> but, but th- so there are things we're not allowed to sell, but not very many. Uh, 
there's things like we, of course, we can't go into cannabis because it's not allowed in federally under the U.S. government. So you're not allowed to cross the border with cannabis. So we're not allowed to sell it. Right. So, so what? Sorry, what's happened to? I would imagine some, if not a good portion, of the goods that were in your store when the pandemic hit and everything came to a grinding halt. Have things expired? Yeah, we we ran into a serious problem. We uh, our warehouse was loaded in March. We load up for preseason, wanting to, because so many of our goods come from overseas, and we. Although they have expiry dates, you know, the best before dates, normally we would have gone through these goods time and time again. But as we sat on them, we we had our biggest problem, of course, with confectionery. And we had confectionery getting close to its expiry dates without a way of getting rid of it. And we got a special exemption from Ottawa that allowed us to pay duty on it. So we've already paid for the goods. Now we have to pay the duty of anywhere 5, 10, 15, 20%. 20%. And then we were allowed to give it away. So mm-hmm. we, we took skid loads of goods to the food banks. We gave it away to elementary schools. We, one of the local schools, I brought uh, hundreds of boxes, or not hundreds, but uh, 100 boxes of uh, chocolate, uh, cookies too. We took uh, boxes of chocolates and cookies to women's shelters and to places like the Semiamu House in White Rock where, you know, I mean, they were wonderfully appreciated, but it has been costly. Oh, for sure. And and that's what you had mentioned as well before, that that's great. You were able to give all of these items away and do that. But it would have also been nice, I would imagine, if you could have at least sold it at cost and then recouped something. Yeah, if we, if we could have got something back would have been wonderful. Uh, we're still, from, we don't have any confectionery left, but we do work okay on most of our other products. You know, I'll be, there's a lot of items we'll still be sending back. Uh, I'll be sending back all my beer, and I'm hoping we'll get compensation from the, from the uh, provincial government, but I'm not sure. Uh, we did try to send it back a year ago in March, and they refused to take it. Um, and why did they refuse to take it? They, their words were they were too busy because their liquor stores last April, May, June were just swamped hmm. because everybody was buying, and they did. They said they didn't have time. We don't have time to take it, and uh, it got left at that point, and which is too bad because it was all fresh at that point, and now. Now I'm hoping they'll take it back and we'll get compensation for it, but we'll see. Were you able to get any of the government funding as far as the wage, uh, the rent subsidies that were announced we, earlier? We, we were, and we're very, very happy for it, but it helped, but it didn't pay the bills. Right. Uh, if, you know, if we, if we, uh, we got our, our percentage on the, on the, uh, wage subsidy, uh, but it only paid part of it. And when you're when you're only working on two and three percent of your normal income, you know my normal income or the income that we were getting wasn't looking after the the hydro and the taxes, let alone the wages and the replacement of product. And you know, so it's it's been rough. 
and I'm just so glad that the governments are now talking about it, and I hope sooner than later. Uh, to me, if somebody's, especially if somebody's fully vaccinated, uh, whether you're fully vaccinated in White Rock going into Langley, or if you're fully vaccinated in Blaine coming into White Rock, I, I don't see the difference. Right. And I would certainly hope they understand how tough this is being on us. And on my staff, I've laid off like 60 people and I'm dying to get them back. And I'm, I'm staying in close contact and most of them are wanting to come back to work. Um, and, you know, we're pretty impatient already. It's just been a long time. Have you heard anything as far as I know there are ongoing conversations and meetings about reopening the border and about that possible phased approach of fully vaccinated people? Have you heard anything as far as when that might happen? We we may have a little bit of an ear to the ground, the ground ahead of you, but not much. Um, we know we're desperately waiting for the announcements coming on the 21st. Uh, I expect that it's going to be from the Canadian point of view, view is the government is going to sit back and say when we're ready or as we approach this or, 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 or I'm not sure. I, but I expect that the Americans are going to open sooner than later and maybe very, very soon. And we may end up with kind of a one-way border, not a two-way border, in that the Americans will allow... Canadians go down, and of course, when they come back, Canada will allow them back under whatever restrictions, but they won't allow Americans in for a certain time frame. But I just don't, I mean, who knows what their, what their plans are. They're, they've been so tight-lipped about it, which has been extremely frustrating. Uh, just so, I mean, if we did know something, if we could start planning, if I could... I mean, I have, I have to place orders out of Europe. Right. And uh, it's a long, it takes a long time. And, and um, you know, if I get stuck with air freighting stuff in, again, it just, it just makes it tougher. That's all. All right. Well, Gary, we'll check in with you again. Hopefully there is some news in the coming days. Thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, we have spent some time, last week especially, we talked to a couple of, well, one was a restaurant owner, another was a chef, both saying that they are finding it very difficult to find enough staff to run the restaurants and to really welcome people back and increase capacity. So let's check in again with Ian Tostenson, BC Restaurant and Food Association President. Ian, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thanks, Jill. I'm on a patio. I was checking out some information here for this interview. This is very important research you're doing. <laughs> I'm not eating. I'm just checking out. But, um, well, we're doing well. I mean, the industry is so happy to be open. Can you imagine that? I mean, and, and having customers in and extended hours till 12 o'clock, which is great for patios and late night diners. But we're, we're, we're up against now a labor shortage and, uh, and you know, some of the most busy restaurants in Vancouver are having to curb hours. They can't get people both, you know, before the pandemic, it was uh, back of the house, cooks and chefs, and now it's into the front of the house. And so they're having a really tough time getting people to work. So where did everyone go? Well, some people left the industry because we weren't dependable. Some people don't want to work a lot of hours because 
they can still get uh, employment benefits um, from the federal government if, and I think they, um, as long as they don't make more than a thousand dollars, so they can make a little bit of money working, and they can make you know a couple thousand dollars. I think that's the amount now still to the federal government. So a lot of people are, haven't got a great motivation to go back to work at this point, which is unfortunate. And um, and the third part, which is systemic, which is, and we've known this for several years, we just don't have enough people in British Columbia, period, Just not just for restaurants, but for the economy in general. So we were bringing, we have a very, uh, we, we have a program in place right now for skilled worker, skilled foreign workers, for cooks and chefs. And um, we brought in, I think, seven or 800 uh, cooks and chefs prior to the pandemic. And these are really skilled workers that are coming to Canada, becoming Canadian citizens. So that worked really well. And that program is up and running again, and there's a lot of demand for it. But the countries of origin are slow with 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 respect to paperwork just because of the pandemic. So it's going to take a while for us to straighten this out. You mentioned the, the federal benefit, and I was wondering how big of a factor that is, because on the one hand, we have the leader of the federal NDP saying that uh, cutting back on that benefit right now is a bad idea for people who don't have jobs to return to. But is it really having an impact, or do you know how much of an impact that particular part is, that there just isn't the incentive to go back to a full-time job or to find a full-time job, say, in the service industry when you can take that benefit? I've heard it a lot, uh, and I just heard it like 10 minutes ago talking to a general manager for a restaurant saying it's a real problem because they, you know, they, they will say, I'm prepared to work a certain amount of hours, and after that, I don't want to work those hours. Um, and, you know, I'll give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe some people who don't want to come back into the environment yet because we're still pretty new at coming out of the pandemic, and this is not a criticism at, at all, but I think that the federal government needs to look at if there's, if there's jobs available and you, you qualify those jobs, that's what you should be doing. Um, you know, all things being considered from a safety point of view, as opposed to being able to take a federal benefit right now. I mean, we need workers, and um, I don't know when the, the program was supposed to sunset a little bit in June, and it's extended. We can't seem to get the, the quite clear how far in the future this program goes, but it's sort of along the lines of, you know, unemployment insurance. So the sooner that sort of comes to a, a slightly different um, outcome, I think that's going to help our industry a lot. How much does or or does the border being closed have an 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 impact as well? In that, obviously, you're not having a lot of uh, clients, customers coming in from the states. But as we go into the summer, do you think that's going to have a big impact as well? You know, Joe, twenty percent of our industry is tourism related, but I think we're going to dodge that bullet. There's so many bullets that we've sort of dodged. This one, I think we're going to dodge. Certainly not hotels. And certainly not, you know, uh, you know, big tourist attractions. But, you know, restaurants, there's so much local demand for people to go out. The restaurant I'm in right now, they do uh, catering business. And they've had, like, um, as soon as the, um, the uh, regulations were changed on Tuesday, they were getting, like, 30, 40 calls a day of people wanting to book weddings. Hmm. Just, like, they're having to say no. There's so much demand. So I think that we'll, we'll get through this. Um, you know, it's going to be harder for Victoria and Vancouver um, just because of the of the effect of you know uh, of the tourism and of cruise ships, but I think there's so many people just want to get out and do things. And then in July, it looks like the way the numbers are that we'll be back to almost operating like nothing <laughs> like nothing ever happens without plexiglass and without restricted capacity. So um, that's going to help as well too. I, I got to say, at some of the tables that are communal tables, I've come to love the plexiglass. I enjoy that little barrier between other people. 
in a famous keg. Oh, I should say it. <laughs> I just said it. But someone, uh, we were sitting, and they said, you know what? I heard over here say, I kind of like this plexiglass. I feel like I'm in a booth and I have some privacy. So we're telling the industry, look, on July 1st, don't go crazy. Just go slow. Mm-hmm. And just just see which, how your guests feel. I mean, they might like the plexiglass, and if so, keep it up. So um, we need to really, really watch, you know, the signals we get from our guests. You're not going to see restaurants just going, you know, wide open like nothing happened. I think we're going to gradually build into this. Do you think there's going to be a permanent change then? If restaurants are getting to that stage, they're going back to, to full capacity, the way things looked before, but we're down tens of thousands of workers. Are we going to see some kind of permanent change in that maybe you order your food off an iPad? Maybe you go get your food yourself. I mean, how do they fill that void between going back to full capacity but not having the same number of staff? Good. That's a great question. So you're going to see um, menu simplification. I mean, that happened anyways, but you'll see the continuation of that so that it's easier to execute in the kitchen. Um, you'll see the, the, the restaurants will, will alter their hours, and so they'll probably just be not that busy, just not going to be open. And, and then, of course, yeah, they'll, they'll probably try to fill the void. I mean, there's the takeout and delivery, which was not in a very big part of our industry prior to this, maybe 15%. We'll probably settle in always at 25 to 30%. So that'll be a fill-in as well, too. So, you know, the funny thing about this industry, not the funny thing, but it, it's just so resilient. It seems to figure this stuff out. But um, I think the labor side of it is going to really need some shout-outs. I mean, we're saying sort of two messages is get vaccinated. And if you know anybody, you know, friend or family that wants to get some great experience and go work as, you know, dr- restaurant jobs are great. Don't apply. Just go to your favorite restaurant and introduce yourself and say, I like your restaurant and I want to work here and get some experience. And I guarantee you they're probably going to get a job. All right. That seems like a very streamlined, straightforward way to go. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think if you once you get into, well, you know, applying on Indeed and stuff and restaurants are so busy, don't get back to you. So it takes momentum. Just take the initiative and just go and, and, and introduce yourself. And like I said, the restaurant I'm in right now, I mean, I'm sure they could use 10 people right off the bat if somebody came. So, I, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're at a no. restaurant. What about prices, no, no. though? Because we've been hearing from others in the industry that it is inevitable that food prices are going yeah. to go up. So, absolutely. Um, and we're actually encouraging. I mean, restaurants are being hypersensitive about the pricing. But they also have to be realistic that... We've had a substantial increase in the minimum wage uh, for servers in particular. Food prices are going up. Uh, a whole bunch of things aren't coming down in price. And, in, and labor prices are going up even in spite of uh, the minimum wage because of supply and demand. So they're going to have to add some points. Now, I mean, for, for people listening, what does that mean? I mean, maybe something at $12 might be $14. It's not like it's going to be $12 to 24 But you're, you are going to probably see, you know, you know, you know, some prices that, that that were $19 might be $22, but it's all very manageable. And um, there's different ways that restaurants can work in that as well, too, and just in terms of, you know, cutting back on some of their menu items that are, that are low-margin items. So there's a lot of engineering that they can do over this, and they'll get through it. Because, you know, I mean, at some point, um, we don't want people to get exhausted from prices being too high either. That's not the result we want. 
All right. Well, Ian, thanks so much for doing this today. We'll let you get back to the patio. We will talk to you again uh, soon, I'm sure. But thanks again so much. Just want you to know I'm doing research. I'm not eating. <laughs> I I'm know. getting research. Okay. I know. Thanks so much for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. We're going to talk a little bit now about how things have changed during this pandemic. And I think we can all agree Many, many things have changed. And for a lot of people, you might not have given it any thought before. The convenience of a curbside pickup, the safety of a curbside pickup, being able to work from home, not because you have to, because there's a pandemic, but maybe because you want to, or there are other reasons. And you've made that case to your employer, but to no avail, didn't happen. Well, things changed very quickly during the pandemic, and some are wondering why it took a pandemic to get these changes. Our show producer, Ben Dooley, is joining me on the line now to talk a bit more about this. Hey, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, we, we joke about this because even before the pandemic, given the weekend schedule that you and I had, we worked together, but we never saw each other because I worked here on the weekends. You worked here during the week. You were always available by phone, but you were at home on the weekends having days off, as you should. Uh, but talk a little bit about the whole work from home angle and issue and how so many people, particularly people with perhaps mobility barriers, have been asking for that. And it seemed to really fall for a, lo- a lot of the time on deaf ears. Yeah, so so, so work from home has been uh, a huge uh, benefactor to me and and to a lot of uh, folks uh, with, with disability, you know, a lot of, not not all, but, but I would say a, a large portion of folks with with disabilities don't drive, so they are relying on public transit uh, to get to where they need to go. And uh, as you well know, public transit is not a 24-7 uh, service. So if if you need to go somewhere and uh, there's no public transit, you, you're out of luck. Uh, and so, you know, if I were to produce uh, Mornings with Simi, Jason, uh, when he's working in the studio, Jason, the producer, uh, he usually gets uh, to the studio around 3.30 in the morning, which is, is quite frankly, impossible uh, for me because uh, I, it, there's no public transit running at, at that hour in, in the morning. And, and so to do that would have been impossible. And so when I was uh, producing Weekends for You, you know, I'd be asked to fill in on the morning show and I'd have to say, you know what, I, I just can't do it. I, I can't, uh, can't get to the studio at that hour. And was there ever, and this isn't to pile up on Chorus because it's not just Chorus, it's a lot of different companies, but was there ever a conversation or the idea put forward like that, well, hey, Ben, maybe you could work from home? N- no, we, we, we never had that conversation because it just, it just didn't seem like something that would work well. But as we quickly learned uh when when all of this began uh you know it it's possible it works uh for for the most point you know there there are glitches here and there but it's not not anything we can't work through uh and and you know things have gone uh pretty well i'd say for the most part uh, over the last uh, 15 months 
Uh, you sent me a link to a piece about this. It's in a, in a website called themighty.com. And the author of this piece uh, by the name of Kellyanne Navarre uh, writes about the fact that she's quite angry because not only did it was this able, so many of these changes, were they able to happen so quickly when suddenly there was a pandemic and people demanded these changes, but also... On the one hand, we're very excited to go back to some form of normal. We're excited in many ways to go back to the way things were before the pandemic. But does that mean everything that was gained and everything that had been called for before, does it go away? Yeah, and, and I, I agree with a lot of, of you know, what, what she had to say. Like, uh, for example, uh, John Jang is going to be uh, doing a segment uh, Later on in the show, uh, with the, uh, the VSO, the Vancouver, uh, Symphony Orchestra. And, and one of the things he's, he's gonna talk about is, uh, online streaming of performances. You know, if, if there's an, some of the older, uh, buildings in Vancouver are not the most, uh, wheelchair accessible. So, you know, I could face problems going to see a show, uh, and, or I could, you know, stay home, watch the show online, and and have a few friends over uh, to watch it with me, and and have the the, the same uh, experience. Whereas if I if I had to uh, go to to the to the studio and it or the building and it wasn't wheelchair accessible, then then I wouldn't be able to to see the show. Right. And so we are, yeah, we're going to talk about that a bit later on in the program. I know also a couple of people that I follow on social media, someone that I've interviewed before about uh, disability issues. She has a, a disability that she lives with. She's been quite vocal about this as well. And talking about things, again, that I think a lot of people don't talk about, and I'm sure you can join this conversation, things like being able to get a prescription filled over the phone so you don't have to go into a doctor's office, uh, being able to do schooling through whether it's a lot live stream or it's a lecture that's been recorded and then is available later on so you don't have to access a campus all of these things that so for so many years people were told no no doesn't work there's no way we could ever do that and now they seem to be working just fine yeah i mean that that is one of the things that uh, in pre-pandemic life would would get me the the most frustrated you know i have probably around a half dozen different uh, specialists that, that I have to see because of my disability. And, you know, some of them work out of uh, Surrey Memorial. Some of them work out of Royal Columbian in New West. Some of them work out of VGH in, in Vancouver. So I have to go all around town uh, to see these specialists once a year for for a checkup just to see uh, how it, how it's going. And and usually it's going good and there's no, no major issue and, and the appointment will last maybe five minutes. And I was left wondering, you know, why can't we just do this over the phone? Because I don't want to be, uh, you know, commuting out to VGH from Surrey for a five minute appointment where everything is, you know, just going to be fine. And, and we could have, could have done this over the phone. And now it seems that, you know, that that is something we can do. I think you sent me a note. It wasn't too, too long ago saying you had a doctor's appointment and it lasted 30 seconds. Yeah, I, I had to renew a prescription. Uh, so I called uh, the doctor's office and uh, and they said, OK, we'll uh, 
We'll have the doctor call you. He called me later. I think it was even during our show. And I talked to him. I said, hey, how's it going? I need a uh, prescription renewed. And that was it. It was done in, in 30 seconds uh, when I would have had to, you know, go out to, to Delta to, to see him in person uh, before, before the pandemic. So how concerned are you or do you think people are that maybe like you use a wheelchair or maybe have some other kind of disability that does make it difficult to access different places, whether it's using transit, finding ways to get places? How how big of a concern is it that there is going to be this focus on returning to normal and not including accessibility and other options in that conversation? I, I think it, it's a, a huge concern, you know. I, I think that we need to realize that the way we did things before was not a, a perfect uh, system. And, and the way we're doing uh, things now, for some people, are a huge uh, life improvement. And if it's not too big of a hassle, which obviously it, it isn't when, uh, you know, able-bodied folks have to, have to use these methods, then, then why can't it be, you know, the new normal for, for folks with disabilities? It's a, it's a very good question, and hopefully we will continue having that conversation for sure. Ben, let's leave it there. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Ah, such beautiful music. And as you know, symphonies have had to change how they deliver music and how they operate during the pandemic. The Vancouver Symphony Orchestra is announcing, though, the return of live performances with actual audience members in attendance. And our show contributor, John Jang, is here now with that story. Hey, good afternoon, Jill. You might recall last summer, we connected with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra back in August when they put on four pop-up shows in and around downtown Vancouver. And indeed, today, we also get to talk about VSO shows, but back indoors for the first time in over a year. To talk more about this, we have Neil Middleton, the Vice President and Marketing and Sales with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, joining us now. And Neil, uh, this is kind of exciting. So tell us exactly what's going on with the VSO. I don't necessarily want to call it a comeback because you've been here the whole time, but it seems like a return, which is still just as exciting. Well, I, I, think, I think you set it up well. This is the first of, I think, what will be a few reopenings. Um, these last two weekends in June, we are thrilled to be inviting our first live audiences back to the Orpheum Theatre in, accordion, in accordance with phase two of the BC reopening plan, we're going to have 50-person audiences um, this Saturday morning and afternoon and next Saturday morning and afternoon to take in um, concerts that are being recorded actually for future broadcasts. Um, but they'll, they'll be able to come to these, these short concerts, sit in a, sit in a socially distanced um, pattern in the, in the gorgeous Orpheum Theatre, take in some live music, and we're just so thrilled to have them coming back. And I'll, I'll tell you why. One of our, our, our musicians love playing music, but they love playing music for an audience. And, mm. and one of the hardest things this year is we've been we've been we've been recording and connecting with people virtually, but not to have that that human energy um, feeding back and, and giving them giving them some some sustenance as they perform has been really hard. And we're just thrilled that we're going to have um, some some people joining us to. to share the, the joy of making music live. 
Well, I think you ask any performing artist, they don't get into this particular career and lifestyle so that they can play in front of cameras. They do it to play in front of a packed audience, a full room, if you will. Obviously, we still have to adhere by the uh, the safety protocols. So 50 as the maximum. Hey, that's better than zero. So we'll gladly take 50. Uh, I was going to ask you, Neil, but I think you answered it just a moment ago. If you're going to continue to offer online shows and viewings for those that can't make it physically down to the Orpheum Theater, I suppose that's going to be made available later, as you suggested? Yeah, yeah. We are, we are still recording, um, and uh, as we have been all season, we're releasing our music on the concerthall.ca, our new virtual concert hall. We'll be putting out some free shows on YouTube and Facebook this summer. Um, and, and one of the things that's really exciting is next Saturday, January 26th, Stephen Page, the great Canadian singer-songwriter who needs no introduction, is going to be coming to, to do a short set with the VSO, and that's going to be one of the shows that we have a 50-person audience for. We'll be releasing that later in the summer. Um, there's, there's a lot of good stuff happening, and I'll say what I, and I said at the beginning, this is probably the first of a few reopenings because we're really looking forward to Phase 4 and what those, what those bigger audiences are going to look like next fall when we get to have another reopening with a much bigger audience. But part of that is um, we've learned so much about, about recording and digital concerts. And, and they're really, you know, there's been a few silver linings. And one of the silver linings this year is we've been able to connect with people outside of Vancouver, people who couldn't drive into the Orpheum, people in northern BC, people in the interior. Um, and we've discovered this new audience uh, who's really enjoying the recording activity. So part of, part of the plan for next year is getting back to live audiences. We cannot wait. Um, but to also keep doing the recording work and keep putting out um, beautiful, beautiful symphonic concerts that, that people can enjoy wherever they are. I'd love to hear that. And indeed, it's it's kind of the silver lining over the pandemic is that uh, new opportunities to reach out, uh, connect with new audiences that probably, as you mentioned, have found it very difficult to make it down to the Orpheum in years past. So if there's any salvation throughout the pandemic, maybe it was that one thing alone. Uh, what I love reading here, Neil, as I'm going through the release, is that some of these tickets uh, will be given to frontline healthcare workers. How important was it for the VSO to make sure that, hey, we're doing our part to say thanks to those that sacrifice? so much um it, it's critical and it's, it's it's something that's really kept us going this year um knowing that there's this huge huge group of frontline workers and we all know it's not you know it, it's like the doctors and nurses do nurses do such important work but the the grocery store workers um you know construction workers everybody that just keeping keeping the world going have been um we're all so grateful for them and that we're coming to this place where we can kind of imagine uh, getting back to normal is thanks to them. So we're going to be inviting um, a few different groups to come. Uh, we've we've contacted <laughs> some of their networks, and we're we're giving pairs of tickets that'll be given away within within different groups of frontline workers. I'll also say though, for the general public, we're having a draw for some tickets. So if you want to come and see some live music, you can go to our website VancouverSymphony.ca, and there's some links there. You can enter yourself in a draw to get some tickets and join us for these first audiences back in the Orpheum in over a year. What has the first uh, round of reaction been like from the public who now are getting to hear like, oh my goodness, the VSO is coming back, uh, live audiences. 
I mean, look, even for me, I, I, I don't know how to play an instrument at all, of course. But what I loved to do in years past was go to the Orpheum, in my opinion, the most beautiful venue in all of British Columbia. Just gorgeous. And anytime you get to go down there and check out a symphony like this, it's just, it's an event. It's a reason to dress up. It's a reason to treat yourself. And boy, I'm sure you understand, Neil, for over a year, many people just haven't had an opportunity like this in a long time. There's so much excitement right now. You can feel it everywhere. It's for everything. You know, people can't wait to get back to sports. They can't wait to get back to concerts. And it's, 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 um, it's kind of fun. We get to rediscover something. We're going to, you know, we're going to appreciate it so much more after having had this break from, from going to live experiences. I'll tell you, uh, as somebody who works at the symphony, I've had the very special privilege of attending recording sessions throughout the season. And it has been, uh, there's always a moment of solace for me, uh, as this break from sort of the digital world we're in right now. And to just have that live experience, it's, it's, you can't replace it. There's there's nothing that quite um, makes up for it, and we we, we just can't. We're, we're really excited for this the next six months as we're able to as we anticipate bringing larger and larger audiences back in. There's going to be so many smiles as people as people rediscover that experience of, of live music. I, I want to say one thing, if if I may. Um, one of the most important things that w- that we're stressing this weekend and next is that this where we are is thanks to. The, the incredible um, vaccination rate that we have in BC and, and how people have been going out and just very actively doing their bit, getting the vaccine um, and just sticking to the protocols. And what we're saying right now is if you want to support the arts, do your part, get vaccinated, because we know that's the most critical part to getting larger audiences in in the fall. So that, that's our ask to the general public who really wants to come to these concerts that's the, that's the most critical thing you can do right now. Very, very well said. Uh, he is Neil Middleton. He is the Vice President of Marketing and Sales with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra. You can find more details and stay up to date with everything that's going on, vancouversymphony.ca. Neil, appreciate you giving us some time here, sir, and best of luck to you and your team. Thank you very much. Have a great afternoon.